the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Deborah Flora all week this week, Monday through Friday, right here on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710-KNUS. Of course, our telephone number, 303-696-1971. You can also text into the show on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 here on 710-KNUS. And we have a lot to dive into in this hour. Coming up in the next segment, well, it seems like we've got some troubles in the banking system. Here's a tidbit of President Biden today. No losses, will be, and I'm, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. That's a taste of President Biden speaking earlier this morning on the bank panics, if you will, that we are seeing right now across the country, particularly at the Silicon Valley Bank and this other bank, Signature Bank. What in the world is really going on here? Should we be concerned? Are bailouts actually happening now? We will dive in to that topic in great depth with Danielle DiMartino Booth, former senior advisor to the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank. She's an excellent guest always tremendous at breaking things down. And of course, if you want to get your thoughts in on social media on this subject or others, you can tweet at me 247365. My Twitter is at Sang Center. That's saying with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. And you can also reach me on Facebook. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Jimmy Sangenberger Pro or search Jimmy Sangenberger Media Personality on Facebook. And a couple ways to email me on any of these topics as well. You can log on to 710knus.com and go to my show's page, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, and email me there. Or to my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is E-Z. So we will dive in just a little bit into the topic of the bank panic that seems to be going on with Danielle DiMartino Booth. If you want to understand what is actually going on there, stick around. We will break it all down for you. Plus, we'll close with a few thoughts from yours truly, as well as your calls, on the subject of the Colorado Republican Party and how things turned out over the weekend. Of course, that was one big event that happened on Saturday. I also had a great opportunity Yesterday, on Sunday, to participate in, indeed, to emcee a very important event on parental rights in education. 
that was put on by Freedom Works Parents Know Best, the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network, and Faithful Citizenship at St. Thomas More Catholic Church. And it was just a tremendous event, very, very informative, a lot of engaged folks, especially parents there, learning about some of the tools to advance parental rights and education to make sure that they are protected in their own children's education. We heard some very difficult stories about the tenuous nature of things in many school districts in Colorado and across the country, but also some practical tips on what to do. And among those who elucidated on some of the real tangible ways you can go about affecting change is our first guest on the show this afternoon. Nikki Neely is the president and founder of Parents Defending Education, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization. It's national that gives parents resources and support that they need to advocate for their children's education. And she joins me now. Good afternoon, Nikki. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. It was so great to meet you. I'd interviewed you a a while back, and it was great to to see you in person. You gave a great talk. I I really think that yesterday's event that we both participated in was one example of the rise in conversation over parental rights and parents across the country reaffirming the position that they deserve that is theirs in the education of their own children. Yes. And sadly, what we hear from school administrators, from teachers, is they know better than we do, right? Well, they're with our kids more. They're the trained professionals. They're the ones with the master's degrees. They know what our kids need. And at the end of the day, no, that's both morally wrong and it's constitutionally wrong. We have a right to direct the upbringing of our children. And at the end of the day, we are the ones who love our children and will be there for them through thick and thin you know, when they're crying on the bathroom floor, it's not going to be the math teacher. It's going to be me, the mom. It's going to be my husband, the dad. And so that's, you know, we have to remind ourselves that because unfortunately we're undermined all the time by people around us. And so when you look at what we're seeing in terms of the conversations around the country and the pushback now that school districts are getting, is that encouraging to you? And what are you finding are the most effective means that parents are reasserting their rights in their kids' education? is really encouraging and that people are realizing, you know, this is citizen engagement at the most basic local level of government, right? People are paying attention to what their school board is saying. Um, They're realizing that those decisions matter as they're voting on budgets, as they're voting on curriculum, that that actually impacts their child. And so people are showing up to school boards. I mean, I think, you know, I, over the course of my life, never went to a city council meeting or a school board meeting until the past few years, right? When you really, we really realized how broken education was. And I think part of that was a function of COVID when people realized and they saw what their children were learning or were not learning. And they realized, you know what, I need to take a firmer hand on the tiller here and just be a little bit more engaged. And so to me, people getting involved in government is a good thing. And I'm excited about that. And so when you talk about how they're getting engaged, not just in in the government aspect, but also things like here in Colorado, you were talking about the use of the Colorado Open Records Act. And there are other opportunities that the law provides for parents to be uh, advocates for their children and for their own rights and their kids' education. What are you finding works in that regard as far as getting access to curriculum that they may be trying to hide or prov- or getting answers to other questions or making change in policies or things that are happening in school districts? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I think about, yeah, you know, most people don't realize you have a right to know this information. Um, and it doesn't even have to be you as a parent. If you as a taxpayer, if you as a community member, your money is going to fund these schools and these programs. And are you happy with how that's being spent? Because, I mean, at least in my town, I feel like every year there's a new bond initiative. You know, they need another $100 million here, another $100 million there. How are you spending the money you have now? I mean, our local elementary schools, there are kids who have there are trailers um, that some of the third grade classrooms are learning in. I think children deserve buildings. And so what the heck are you doing with all these hundreds of millions of dollars? We need a little bit of oversight. When my school is closed down for the day for a teacher training, what kinds of things are they learning? Are they learning how to teach phonics better or are they getting a lot of, you know, kind of woke pronoun stuff? Um, so things like that really matter because at the end of the day, we have seen over the past two years of COVID, Children's academic achievement has fallen off a cliff. Children are not reading at grade level. They're not doing performing math at grade level. Um, and so we need to make up that learning loss. And frankly, even before the pandemic, those numbers were not terrific. And so children are not, our schools are not performing the basic function of educating our children. And, and sadly, in many cases, they're also not safe when they go to school. And so we have to, as we the people, demand better from our taxpayer-funded entities. Again, we're talking with Nicole Neely. She is the president and founder of Parents Defending Education. One thing that we're seeing, and this is something I really wanted to talk with you about today, Nikki. Um, one thing that we are seeing in school districts more and more, especially those that are more uh, championing the idea and the principles of, of parental rights and education, is a movement towards parental rights policies and having school boards actually pass these policies that stay claim to the, the these principles. What are you noticing about that? Do you think that's a good way to go and, and for advocacy to maybe lean in that direction is getting school boards to pass parental rights policies? I think it's a good thing. I mean, it, you know, to take a step back, it's a little bit sad that we have to. We shouldn't yeah. need to remind our schools of their obligations under the law that parents actually have a right to know what's going on. Um, but even prior to working at Parents Defending Education, I used to run a campus-free speech group, and we saw states across the country passing um, campus-free speech bills. Again, it's just reiterating what the First Amendment has always said. I mean, it's been there since the nation's founding, and it's sad that we have to remind public universities of those things. And in this case, with the parental rights bills, again, it's sad we have to remind K-12 schools that parents deserve to have a role in this. Yet we look at, I mean, across the country, in Iowa, there's a school district that said, you know, the role of a public school is to teach children what society needs them to know. The Michigan Democratic Party had said, said something similar a few months ago. And then, you know, what they mean by that is we know what society needs them to know. We're deciding those things. And I think, you know what, no, I as the family, I as the mother, I get to decide the kinds of things that I want my child to know and to have a successful life. This is not, you know, I'm not abdicating all of my parental responsibilities to you guys. It would seem to me that a parental rights policy gives a little bit more support for a parent who's noticing an issue going on and they take it to the school administration or to the district administration and then they can say, look, your school board passed this policy and what you're doing is incongruent with that. It's out of step with what your school board says your district is supposed to be doing. Yes, it's just it's a little bit more ammunition in people's quivers to say, hey, you know what, this is again, we're just we're reiterating what our rights are and you guys are violating that sacred trust. Um, I think, you know, so many people for many, many years used to drop their children at the schoolhouse gate and assume that their kids were fine. And what we saw during COVID is our kids are not fine. And right now, after two years of schools being closed, obviously our children are having terrible, you know, depression, mental health issues. And the same people who've kept the school shut for two years are now saying, 
hey, we need more money. We're going to fix this. And I think, you know what? You kind of haven't really done a great job now. Why should I give you more money and more responsibility? I don't want you inside my child's head. I don't trust you. Um, you know, this is a this is very much a like a, um, a you know what did Reagan say? Um, trust but verify. We have seen that we can't trust these schools, and so why would we just hand over you know the, the, the keys to the kingdom? Final question for you, Nikki Neely, president founder of Parents Defending Education. Are you optimistic? I mean, is is the pendulum has it? It, it seemed like it swung so far in one direction, and now post COVID, especially, we are seeing it move in the other direction. Particularly as you have organizations like here in Colorado, the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network, or you have the uh, Parents Know Best program at Freedom Works, that and you've got Parents Defending Education, that we're moving in the right direction. Are you optimistic about that direction? I am. I mean, we have only been around for about two years, and we work with about 250 parent groups across the country, none of whom existed three years ago. And so these are people, these are just, you know, average moms and dads who saw what their kids were learning and thought, I'm not crazy about this. I want to get a little bit more involved. And to me, that kind of civic engagement, the scales fell from people's eyes. And I think it's almost, you know, kind of like a gateway drug. People think, okay, well, if the school's messed up, what's my city doing? How's the mayor spending money? And so I think the more people are involved in their governments, the better. And so I'm, I'm tremendously engaged and in, in, uh, excited, and I think that this is, this is going to keep growing and growing. So can't wait to see where it goes to. Where can folks go to learn more about Parents Defending Education, by the way, Nikki? Our website is defendinged.org. We have lots of resources. We have a tip line so people can submit tips to us anonymously, and they can also see what's taking place in their own backyard. I appreciate the time. It was great seeing you yesterday at the uh, parental rights event, and I look forward to speaking with you more as this movement continues to gain steam. Thank you so much. Thank you. Once again, Nikki Neely joining us, president and founder of Parents Defending Education, right here on the Deborah Flores Show. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Deborah today. We're going to go straight to a break now. On the other side, let's dive in to this topic that is getting everybody talking. Twitter is all a Twitter about it. The banking crisis the country is witnessing right now. What's really happening there? How concerned should we be? And are we witnessing bailouts in action? We'll talk about it with former senior advisor to the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank, Danielle DiMartino Booth, as we continue. Jimmy in for Deborah Flora News Talk, 710 KNUS. It's a nice, sunny, beautiful day out there. And it's that kind of day where Van Morrison gets you in a nice, peppy mood. Welcome back. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora here on News Talk, 710 KNUS. President Joe Biden today gave remarks this morning. They were brief, but they were on the banking crisis. At least that's what many are looking at it as, a banking crisis happening right now, particularly thanks to a couple of banks that have gone under, including Silicon Valley Bank. Let me play a little bit of President Biden to set the stage. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks 
can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking systems overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. They've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and the team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action. And the president continued offering assurances, particularly to depositors across the country, like all of us. All customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured. I want to rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills, and stay open for business. No losses will be, and I want, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Because of the actions of that, because of the actions that our regulator has already taken, every American should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. So are bank bailouts happening? What really is going on? I've been asked this question by a number of folks. What's actually happening here? It gets confusing when you're talking about, say, Silicon Valley Bank and really focusing on the tech space and these startups that have money that they're getting from investment capital, from venture capitalists that they then put into this bank. And you're hearing talk about bonds and what happened there and credit ratings. And now you got other banks that are having issues really want to break this down and get a good understanding of what's actually happening which is why i am very pleased to welcome back here to 710 knus danielle DiMartino booth she is ceo and chief strategist for quill intelligence llc a research and analytics firm a global thought leader on monetary policy, economics, and finance, DiMartino Booth founded Quill Intelligence in 2018. She's author of Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America, a full-time columnist for Bloomberg View, business speaker, and a commentator frequently heard on all sorts of different cable and other business outlets. And she has been. In fact, she spent nine years at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas as an advisor to President Richard W. Fisher throughout the financial crisis until his retirement in March of 2015. Danielle DiMartino Booth joins me. Good afternoon, Danielle. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks. It's great to be here. Really appreciate it. Uh, a dramatic day. <laughs> y- yes, it is. I mean, I don't even know exactly where to begin except probably from the beginning because, look, for folks who don't follow things certainly as closely as, as you do, uh, it can get a little bit confusing when you're hearing all sorts of things and you're seeing you go on Twitter and you see hashtag banking crisis and you hear talk about runs on banks and discussions of FDR and the Great Depression. Uh, it gets a little confusing. What, what are we actually seeing is happening right now, Danielle? Well, it, what, what we're seeing is uh, on a technical level, certain regu- regulations that were put in place um, after the financial crisis are backward-looking in the, in, in the sense that 
that they were never designed for a Federal Reserve, my former employer, to what we call normalize interest rates, bring interest rates up to what we would consider to be normal levels as savers, something that would actually pay us a return for, for putting our hard-earned money away in a savings account, like 4 4.5%, where we are today. In, in, in the past world, generations ago, that kind of a level wouldn't be enough to kind of break the banking system. But what happened was a lot of banks purchased uh, securities, treasury, treasury securities, mortgage-backed securities. A lot of banks purchased these at very, very historically low interest rates when the Fed had interest rates down at what we call the zero bound, as low as it could possibly be. Because bond prices move opposite to that of their yields, when the Fed started to normalize interest rates last year, raising rates at a very rapid pace, all of a sudden the value of the bonds on these bank balance sheets declined at a very fast pace, such that they were sitting on losses. I promise I'll, I'll make this as painless as possible. Um, a lot of banks so that they could get maneuvering in order to continue to lend banks or in the business of making loans, they reclassified these, these securities as what we call hold to maturity. And that means that we'll never sell them and that way we'll never have to, to recognize the loss, but we also don't get to use them in order, in order to give our, ourselves more space to make loans. If you get caught out, as Silicon Valley Bank did, with a deposit run on the bank, you are forced then to sell these securities to raise cash, recognizing losses in such a quick fashion that the FDIC comes and closes you down in one day. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. So w- w- as I understand it, with S- Silicon Valley Bank in particular, Danielle DiMartino Booth, most of the money that has been held in that bank, SVB, is startup money that particularly was given from venture capital firms to startup businesses, particularly in the tech space, that then put that money into SVB and SVB wasn't really giving out loans. They're not a loan-making bank because most of the money that they were holding was for customers who were getting their cash from investor capital. That would be venture capitalists. And so instead of giving out money like a bank typically does in loans, what they were doing was putting it into these hold to maturity, that is these out into the future bonds, and then suddenly... All of these businesses are saying, you know what, we need to go $42 billion in one day, run on the bank. We need to get our deposits out. And the Silicon Valley Bank doesn't have the cash on hand, so they have to sell these long-term bonds at a loss in order to pay out those depositors. Am I reflecting that correctly? You are, with the exception of the fact that they didn't, buy hold maturity securities. This is, not, this is not something that they did on purpose. This is not a position that a bank wants to be put in. But when the Federal Reserve in 2021 was growing the size of its balance sheet by buying the same exact securities. Now, the Federal Reserve cannot be penalized because it's got a legal out for having the same exact hold maturity losses. But what the bank did was they classified them for regulatory purposes as hold a maturity so that they would not have the, the unrecognized losses count against them by regulators when they were examining their, their financials. Now, 
that works fine as long as you don't have a bunch of people pulling their money out. But as you note, there was a high concentration of individuals who were getting a lot of money from venture capital during the go-go days when money was free and everybody was funding everything, including P. Diddy's virtual uh, uh, blueprint for his mansion on Mars. And that's how that's how far it went. But but there was money that could be raised for any purpose. That stopped, and the speculation, in large part, has stopped as well. So if you can't get money for free, sometimes you actually go and get your actual cash that's in the bank. When that happens in mass, bad things happen. It seems like, Danielle DiMartino Booth, that this is fundamentally a problem of bad risk management on the part of Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other banks now that are uh, either like Signature Bank, which went under this weekend as well, or uh, others that are struggling. Is that what it looks like to you, is, is poor risk management? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, you should never put all of your eggs in one basket. So that is, instead of talking gobbledygook, I will say that that the exposure of this particular bank, the level of securities that they held was certainly not what we would consider or characterize as being prudent. And it left them with a much weaker position than many other banks. In other words, in November, December of last year, I can't recall, it, it was, it, it Somebody pointed out, this is in the Wall Street Journal, you, you know what, this Silicon Valley Bank has actually got more of these losses than they actually have equity. Gee, it sounds like they could possibly fail. Not that anybody would have ever used that word in, in a major publication, but they were pointing out the disconnect between the amount of losses you have versus the amount of equity you have. And if you let your balance sheet get that imbalanced, then it doesn't take much for people on the outside looking in to say, ooh, I better pull my money. It might not be safe. And it just takes a handful to really get a cascade going. And especially if you then don't have enough liquidity, liquid assets available, that is to say cash on hand for those depositors, then you start getting into more difficult issues, such as, for example, selling these bonds at a loss. Um, and eventually, perhaps the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, comes in and takes things over. That is what happened, and it happened in record time for a bank of this magnitude. This is the 16th largest bank in the country. To watch it unravel that quickly was nothing short of breathtaking. So what we're seeing now, is it, in fact, a bailout? Here's a little tidbit from President Biden today. No losses, will be, and I'm on, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Is that the, the case? And could one justifiably call what we are seeing for SVB, Signature Bank, and maybe others, bailouts? Well, as long as, as what Biden said comes to pass, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be a banker. Think of, it as, think of it as this. Your homeowners association has decided to completely redo the pool in, your home, in, in your, the community you live in. So they're going to give you a one-time assessment that you're going to need to pay because you live in this neighborhood and you're part of this homeowners association. So are banks going to like what happens? No. Not at all. But the hope is 
that the runs stop because the public knows that their deposits are secure well beyond, excuse me, in, in unlimited ways, such that the runs don't proceed and the FDIC doesn't need to make this fund that big. But for the moment, right now, it, this has nothing to do with taxpayers. Danielle DiMartino Booth, again, is our guest, chief strategist for Quill Intelligence for nine years, was at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas as an advisor to uh, President Richard W. Fisher. And a few minutes left with you, Danielle, and appreciate your time today. So let's broaden this out to the wider system. We've talked a lot about Silicon Valley Bank. There's also Signature Bank that went under over the weekend. And, of course, we're looking out at other banks that, seem to be struggling. What are you seeing is happening more broadly? Is the same problem going on? Or is it that a lot of depositors are getting fearful and they're starting to want to pull out their deposits for safety reasons that they're concerned, maybe panicking over what's happening on social media or something? So, you know, to your point, social media certainly amplifies any effect and word spreads much faster than it used to, say, in 2007, 2008, when we were approaching the great financial crisis. But by the same token, there is much more of a recognition today that, you know what, I don't need to pull my money out of my bank because I'm worried that my bank's going to go under. I'm going to pull my money out of my bank because my bank isn't even paying me one percentage point interest on my savings. And now that all of this has happened in, in the public purview, through social media, I know that I can go and put it in an 18-month CD for 4.75%. That's the bigger problem. So when we look at one of these issues that I keep hearing talked about is the FDIC is set up, was set up many, many, many years ago, uh, of course, in the, during the Great Depression era. But it was set up to cover up to $250,000 in deposits, but not above that. And yet it looks like you will see coverage for that so that if somebody has over $250,000, they will still be made whole through, for example, the FDIC. Uh, is that something that you think is, is acceptable or is that a moral hazard by encouraging risky behavior because it says to depositors, don't worry, anything that you put in will be covered. So I think that this is where the word um, bailout gets very confusing. Uh, if, if you are, let's say, Etsy, and you have every anticipation that you're able to pay your small vendors up in a very quick fashion, and you're using a bank to run the operations of your company, and therefore your checking account's got, call it $20 million going in and out all the time, money, 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 back and forth, that's what Etsy is. I'm using one example of somebody who banked with Silicon Valley. There is absolutely no reason that you should not anticipate, unless we're in a third world country, that your deposit is not money good. Now, it's a different situation if you're a shareholder or a bondholder or a creditor of a bank that goes under. In that situation, you should have exactly zero expectation of getting your money back because you've taken a risk in that position. But unless the United States is a third world country, we should have the ability to put money into a bank in excess of $250,000 in order to run our companies in an efficient manner. 
Two final questions for you. Again, we're talking with Danielle DiMartino Booth, author of the book Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. First, here is President Biden talking about what he views as the solution to what we're seeing now for the longer term. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that The crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Is this a problem of too little regulation that needs to be turned back, Danielle? I'm, I'm afraid that the president has a deep misunderstanding of history. What, what, and I'm, I'm no defender of Trump, but what he did was he actually made it easier for smaller community banks to not have the same onerous costs to run themselves as, say, a J.P. Morgan Chase, a Wells Fargo, a Bank of America. Nor should they have the same kind of overhead and compliance if they're serving a very small community. The irony here for Silicon Valley Bank is that they were able to lobby Congress successfully, I believe it was 2015, and have themselves classified as a bank that was not at risk of going under. That was where things really went wrong. And that had nothing to do with an executive, uh, with an executive order of any kind. That had to do with successful lobbying to the detriment of the broader banking system on the part of, of what we have come to find out is a very well-connected um, bank that is no longer with us. And finally, how concerned are you about what we're seeing for the broader economy? And I mean, a lot of this is dealing with Fed policy in particular that extends back decades, really. So how do we get out of this without extraordinary pain to so many innocent people? That's the best question you could possibly ask, because the, the Federal Reserve for generations, plural, has allowed Wall Street to become addicted to being able to run its business with zero interest rate policy, which isn't really the way that the world should work. You shouldn't penalize savers for generations at a time. They should be able to put their money in a bank and make a decent return in their retirement years. And yet here we sit with the Fed having normalized, raised interest rates to a somewhat normal level, but it's so high and there's so much debt whether you're talking about the household sector, the corporate sector, or the government sector of the United States economy, there's so much debt now that what we would consider to be a fairly tenable, reasonable interest rate is now high enough to expose the leverage and end up hurting hard men, hardworking men and hardworking women. Yeah, this is something else we will be watching with great interest and looking forward to having you back on. Danielle DiMartino Booth, again, CEO and Chief Strategist for Quill Intelligence, LLC. Check out our book, Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. Thanks so much for coming on and breaking down a complex issue. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Once again, Danielle DiMartino Booth joining us here on the Deborah Flora Show. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah. Quillintelligence.com is her website. By the way, you can follow her on Twitter at DiMartino Booth. Absolutely brilliant. Really appreciate the time. We're going to take a break. Back with more 303-696-1971 on the other side. Keep it right here. 
I love sneaking a little blues in on a weekday afternoon. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora. Funky tune from the late, great Freddie King. My credit didn't go through, which I thought was very apropos of the discussion we just had with Danielle DiMartino Booth. Hope you're able to follow along with that when you're talking about the Fed and you're talking about banks that are going under and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and uh, interest rates and bonds. It can get a little bit tenuous. But the bottom line, when you look at Silicon Valley Bank, what happened there is you have a bank that's intended predominantly for tech startups. And those tech startups get money from venture capital firms and they put it into that bank. And normally a bank would give out loans, but this bank wasn't doing much loan giving. So instead they invested that money in these bonds that they converted to behold the maturity. That is to say long-term bonds, not expecting to need to call them in. But then as Moody's, we didn't talk about this piece. Moody's, the credit rating firm, was about to downgrade Silicon Valley Bank. And that, among other things, got the depositors, these businesses that had deposits in Silicon Valley Bank, concerned. Thinking, you know what? Um, we kind of need our money out of this bank. And so in one day, there was a request for $42 billion, with the B, dollars to be pulled out of Silicon Valley Bank in one day. And the bank didn't have the cash on hand for it, didn't have the liquidity. Because instead of like a normal bank holding the cash and lending it out, they invested in longer-term bonds. So they had to call in these bonds at losses in order to make more of their depositors whole federal government said okay this is a big problem we got to step in which is entirely in fitting with what the federal deposit insurance corporation is about and they take over silicon valley bank and that's where we're at i don't think that there's a big systemic issue it's not something everybody should be panicking and saying should i go to my bank and pull out my money you're good you should be fine in that regard but we will see how this all unfolds moving ahead, but appreciate Danielle DiMartino Booth breaking this down. By the way, Colorado liberals want to allow so-called safe injection sites, but most people know that's a really bad idea. Safe injection sites allow addicts to get high on illegal drugs like heroin and meth without consequence. These safe sites are a magnet for trash and crime and only encourage addiction. Help us kill this bill. Log on to 710knus.com and click on the Colorado Undivided banner to sign our petition to tell Governor Polis to veto House Bill 1202 to stop safe injection sites. Brought to you by Deep Colorado Wells, IEC, registered agent Stephen Wells, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Real quick, I'm in for Deborah all week this week. We've got a great lineup of shows coming up tomorrow. Um, there's some stuff going down in Elizabeth School District. We should have a board member from Elizabeth Schools on tomorrow. Kyle Clark and Nine News have been just salivating over this story. Well, we're going to get the inside scoop there um, 
should be joined tomorrow by one of the board members in the Elizabeth School District. Coming up on Wednesday, we'll talk with Denver Gazette columnist Eric Sonderman as ballots have dropped election. The election is underway for mayor and city council and other city positions in Denver. We'll break down what's going on there with Eric Sonderman and talk about other topics, of course, in the next couple of days. Also coming up on Friday, very excited. You might be familiar with the film Jesus Revolution that has been surprisingly successful in terms of expectations versus how it's borne out. Kelsey Grammer's starring in it. Well, we will have on one of the co-directors of the film, Brent McCorkle, this coming Friday, joining us just after 3 o'clock. I think it'll be 3.20 that we'll have him on. Co-director Brent McCorkle of the film Jesus Revolution, which is doing extraordinarily well and that is very encouraging to see so lots coming up over the course of this week as i fill in for deborah flora 3 p.m every day and of course we will talk about what's happening in the colorado republican party just didn't have enough time to get to that today but there are many different moving parts in that regard i mean no shortage of things to talk about in this environment you got one hour to do it we're going to do it right that's it for me today. Stefan Tubbs is in the house warming up in a bullpen. He'll be on from 4 to 7 right here on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Have a great week. See you tomorrow at 3. And may God bless America. Never give up. Never surrender. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com